Today is the second Sunday in our Advent season, and last week we kicked off the series focusing on hope. Uh, If you were here, I want to just say something as a word of review. If you weren't here, let me just catch you up to speed on this thought of hope in the Advent season. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, when all is stripped away, what remains is faith, hope, and love. And last week, we looked in the book of Colossians, where Paul talks about the distinction between faith, hope, and love. Now, I want to just go back to verse 5 in Colossians chapter 1 really quick to emphasize this point again. Paul writes that the faith, and he's talking about the faith we have in God that you read in the previous verses, the faith and the love, and he's talking about the love for God's people that springs from the hope stored up for us in heaven about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So what Paul was saying is that the reservoir of the faith you have in God and the love you have for God's people is the hope that is stored up for you. And where is it stored up? How do we know this hope? How do we access this hope? It's stored up in the true message of the word of God. Anybody thankful for the message of the word of God today? Amen. Amen. I hope so, because it's the only book I brought this morning. I don't have another one, so I hope you're ready for the true message of the Word of God. He said that hope is that reservoir. And so let's just start by lighting up this lamp of hope today. We want hope to shine bright in 2020, so let's crank this light up as much as we can. You know, last week we turned up this lamp of hope. And, uh, and then when the service was over and we shut all the lights down and turned the sound system off, we couldn't figure out how to get that one light to go off. It was the only light on in the room. I said, man, I preach hope so strong, it's never going out. It's just going to stay up. And it's like the Olympic torch over there. So we're going to light up hope in this Advent season. And today, we're going to shift to this theme of love. I want to preach a message of love today. One of the verses we looked at last week, and just for the sake of this mental picture, I want to go back there quickly. It's in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. And the writer says this. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It is firm. It is secure. And he gives us this picture that life is like a ship. It's like a vessel. And how many of you would say this year it's been a storm-tossed vessel? (laughs) It's been on some choppy waters in 2020. But he says, in the midst of that storm, hope is an anchor. Stay with that analogy for a moment because I want to tell you today that if hope is the anchor, love is the sail. Love is is what moves us in the direction that God wants us to go. Love is what takes us from where we are to where God wants us to be. Love is the part of your faith life that people can see coming a long ways off. It's the distinguishing mark of your life. It's why Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples because you have love for one another. So if anchored, if, if the anchor is hope, love is the sail. And even God himself was moved by love. Love is what causes movement. Can I just tell you something today? Now, if you only remember one thing I say, don't let this be it, because it will discourage you. But if you remember two things, also remember this. God doesn't need you. 
He didn't choose you because you were the most talented, didn't choose you because you were born in the right family or in the right season or or, or from the right state. He didn't choose you for any of those reasons. Sometimes we, we look at the favor of God like a celestial kickball game on the playground where Jesus has his team and the devil has his team and we go, ooh, ooh, pick me, ooh, pick me. And like Jesus is looking for the good players. That is not how it worked. Can I tell you there's only one thing that motivated God to choose you? One, love. Love. God demonstrated his love for us, Romans 5, 8 says, in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, even the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had to be reminded of why God chose them and why he didn't choose them. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says this. It says, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. Oh, okay. So, oh, we'll take the pin off of our lapel. We're, we're, not the, we're not the chosen ones because we're the best or we're the most numerous. Look at what he says in verse 8, though. He says, but it was because the Lord loved you. And he kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand. And he redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He said, the reason I rescued you is because of my love. And then look at the next verse, verse 9. He says, know therefore this, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of what? Love. To a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. See, I believe Martin Luther, the reformer, had it right when he said, God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. And that's the truth of it today. John, the one who described himself as the one whom Jesus loves, wrote it so clearly and concisely in 1 John 4, 8, when he said these words, God is love. Can I tell you today, every movement of God is a movement of love. Every, everything that God is doing is, a, is an act of love. Jesus said this, he said, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Everything God does is an act of love. I, I know for some people that's hard to grasp, But let me just qualify it in in reminding you that sometimes love has to be tough love. Ever had to give some tough love before? I'll never forget the day I found the words coming out of my mouth that I swore I would never say. They made no sense to me as a child. But sure enough, one day, as a father, I looked at one of my sweet little girls who needed to be disciplined, and I said those ridiculous words, This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Now, when my dad said that, I thought, you're crazy. This is definitely not going to hurt you more than it hurts me. In fact, if it's going to hurt you more than me, I got an idea. Let's trade places. You take the whooping, I'll take the grief. But how many of you know sometimes love has to be tough? 
But I want to tell you everything that God does. John had it right when he said it. God is love. Mercy is God's forgiving love. Grace is God's undeserved love. Peace is God's comforting love. The will of God is his unerring love. The providence of God is his caring love. The babe in a manger is God's pursuing love. And the king on a cross is God's proving love. The empty grave is God's proven love pursuing us. Sanctification is God's nurturing love. Heaven is God's rewarding love. And eternity is God's unending love. Amen. Everything God does is a movement of love. And hear this today. When the church moves, it ought to be the love of God that fills our sails. It ought to be his love that compels us to action. In fact, that's the word that the apostle Paul used in 2 Corinthians. He said, this is what it looks like. Chapter 5, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. He said, that's what it feels like. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now maybe you've, from an outside perspective, you've wondered, why do people, why do people commit their whole life to Christ? I mean, you know, escape the flames of hell, security in heaven. I get that. But, but I mean like Monday through Friday. I mean like why, do, why does your faith in Jesus influence what you do in the privacy of your own home? Why do you show up at church every Sunday? Why do you give the first 10% of your finances? Why, why have you made a commitment that is wholehearted devotion to this thing? And, and Paul explains it right here. He said this is what it looks like. Verse 15, talking about Jesus. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again you know what he's saying he's saying love compels me to no longer live my life for myself it's the love of God that that compels me to live outside of myself and so today we're going to light up this lamp of love but I want you to know when we light this lamp this is not just you know Lights on the tree. This is not lights on the house. We're not doing this because we want a a fuzzy feeling of nostalgia in the Christmas season. What I'm praying and believing is that when we light this lamp of love today, that God is going to begin to let the wind of his spirit blow and move the church in love. John talked about what it looks like for this light to come. I love John chapter 1, his description of Light stepping into the darkness. Look at it with me in verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though he, the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him. Now here's the gospel, friends. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word, verse 14 says, became flesh. That's the incarnate one. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Why? Because love always moves. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So how about today we light this lamp of love and let it shine a little brighter. And as we light this lamp of love today, we're going to pray, God, let this fire burn inside of us. You know, one of the ways that, that we're seeing love expand through God's kingdom is through Youth Alive. In fact, today I ask Joe Callie, one of our Assembly of God U.S. missionaries with Youth Alive, to be with us today because God has called him to take the gospel to students, equipping them for their public schools. How many of you understand the schools are the bottleneck of our society? If we can get Christ to invade the darkness there, we can touch everybody. And this year and last school year, because of COVID-19, have been just crazy. Can I get a parental amen from anybody or a teacher say amen? Come on, somebody, yeah, that never intended to be a homeschool teacher, but now you're an expert? Well, ironically, and maybe even appropriately, due to COVID-19, Joe couldn't be in the building today. (laughs) And so I said, you know what? COVID-19 hasn't stopped the gospel all year. Let's not stop it from you coming today. So I want you to make a a digital welcome to our guest today, uh, Joe Callie, as he shares with us about U.S. missions. Good morning, Wrightsville family. My name is Joe Callie, and I'm the Youth Lab Missionary for Pennsylvania and Delaware. And I just want to say thanks to Pastor Aaron for allowing me to be a part of your service this morning. Yes, unfortunately, during the season that we're a part of, I can't be with you in person, but we thought it best to, hey, why can't we do this thing through a virtual lens? And uh, and we signed up and said, man, let's do this. And so I'm excited to share with you what God is doing. Can I just tell you back in March when COVID hit the United States uh, and then all of a sudden schools shut down and things like that. And God quickened my spirit and allowed me to realize, man, we can't have our students stop sharing their faith. Just because they're not in school anymore doesn't mean they have this right to, okay, well, now they don't have to talk about Jesus. No, if anything, we have to talk about Jesus more than ever before. So we got on our social media, on our Pendel Youth Live Instagram, and we had campus missionaries sign up to do devotionals. And I am proud to say and blessed to have Pastor Aaron's girls all be a part of those devotionals. Also, Alicia was a part of those devotionals. Man, Wrightsville, you guys are killing it as you continue to help students uh, become more vocal about Jesus on their school campus and in their community. And as a youth lab missionary, that's what I love to see. That's what we want more be a part all across Pennsylvania and Delaware. We need more and more students like those students, like your students that are talking boldly about who Jesus is, no matter what the circumstance. So when we started those devotionals, man, it was like, man, let's, let's get this done. And so now we're in December and this virtual lens is still with us. But we're blessed to have technology, amen? We're blessed to be able to keep professing the faith and keep the gospel from going forward. We have to have it keep going forward. And that's what we do as Youth Live. We want our students to continue to be more bold than ever before, to be strong in their faith, and to talk about Jesus more than anything else in the world. There's nothing more important than what God did for each person and what God's done for you and what God's done for me. So as a Youth Live missionary, that's our desire, is to inspire, empower, and equip students to share their faith so that they can share their faith with other students. Friends, our students 
have to be the most vocal and the most loud about who Jesus is. And I love what's being produced through this COVID season. I love hearing testimonies about, we have campus missionaries out near Pittsburgh where they took their Bible club because the virtual experience at school, they couldn't gather together. They took their Bible club and they went to the local coffee shop where now that Bible club is taking place in a public coffee shop where they're talking about Jesus. Friends, that makes me so excited because if our students are talking about Jesus in public now, in a coffee shop, how many know in college, they're going to go to coffee shops. When they're older, they're going to go to coffee shops. And talking about Jesus is just going to be like second nature. It's just what we do. That makes me excited. I love to hear testimonies like my man in, my man in, uh, in Philadelphia, a seventh grader who wore the Alive in Five, which is our Youth Alive face mask to his karate class. And because he wore it to class, one of his students asked him what those what the, uh, the emblem stood for. So he was able to talk to him about the gospel and share with him the love of Christ. Friends, our campus missionaries are being more vocal than ever before. And we need to keep on going forward. Our students need to talk about Jesus like never before. So friends, as a U.S. missionary, that's our sole purpose, to help students be bold in their faith. You know, back in September and October, we had our fearless one day. And we had students come across Pennsylvania and Delaware, and 250 have responded to the call to reach someone for Jesus on their school campus or in their community. Friends, our students are saying yes to the, to the command. You know, Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples and tells even for you and I is to go and tell someone else the good news. Our students are doing just that. We're excited to see what the future holds for 2021. We're excited to see where God's not just taking uh, your church at Riceville, but the, the church that, of God. We're excited to see what's going to happen all across Pennsylvania and Delaware. You know, the gospel will always go forth. You can't shut it up. And it's not time to even be quiet. We need to be more vocal than ever before. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Friends, salvation is a gift from God. Anyone who believes in the gospel can be saved. You know, as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for over 13 years. And one of my greatest things I, I keep drilling into students, we cannot keep salvation to ourselves. How dare we keep the greatest news to ever be told just to, just to me personally. So I challenge you, even as a Youth Lab missionary, I challenge our students, let's not keep salvation to ourselves. For you, let's not keep salvation to yourself. Why not this Christmas season, spread the love of God? Why not this Christmas season, share the love of God with somebody else. Let the gospel keep going forward. Share the greatest gift with your family members. Share the greatest gift and use whatever platform you desire. Use whatever platform you desire. If it's through social media, go for it. If it's, if it's through a phone call, go for it. If it's a text message, go for it. Keep flooding people with the gospel. Share your faith. I'm excited. In 2021, what God's going to do. I'm excited. We're doing our monthly Zoom calls with our campus missionaries. Actually, next Tuesday, 
will be our, our one of our ones. And we're going to focus on prayer. So campus missionaries at Wrightsville, make sure you hop on that call. Let's discuss prayer and let's pray for our community. Let's pray for your school and watch what God does through you to reach the lost. So God bless you. Thank you so much again for allowing me to be a part. And I can't wait to meet you face to face soon. God bless. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. You know, love can be costly. God demonstrated that. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. That is good. Somebody needs to write that down. I just thought of that. You know what? Love does more than just give a little bit, because if you read that scripture a little farther, many of you could quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave a lot. He gave big. And I believe God honors that kind of sacrifice when we know uh, that, that, the, that the soil is worthy of the seed. And so we decided this year during this Advent season, we want to support uh, Joe Callie and his family. Uh, it, it's only been about a year or so that he and his family have been in U.S. mission. He and his wife have five kids. So you can imagine the step of faith it takes to change careers and say, I'm just going to go into full-time missions and trust that the Lord's going to meet our needs. So I want to ask Pastor Chris to come up here because uh, we decided this year as a church, we want to invest in Youth Alive, and we have a check for $2,000 that we're presenting to Joe this week for that ministry. Amen. I wanted to bring this up here so that you can see it. And I want to ask you to pray right now. Let's just believe God to move through our uh, high school and middle school campuses. Father, we thank you today for what you're doing through Youth Alive. I thank you for uh, Joe's effectiveness in, in ministering and equipping and training and raising up students, partnering with the local church and with youth pastors, God, to to send campus missionaries out with the love of Jesus. Lord, we pray today for Joe's health, Lord, for his family, and for everyone at our district office. They've had to close their offices because of uh, COVID, but Lord, we just pray for their health. And thank you that you are the God who heals and restores health back to us. So Lord, we claim that today for your servants. And God, we pray that you would uh, let this next year be so effective. Lord, let, let the soil be rich to receive, Lord God, so that we can see an incredible harvest. Lord, we thank you that what looks like uh, difficulty and trials on the outside is, is your way sometimes of just tilling the soil. It's a season of preparation for a harvest like we've never known. And so, Lord, we speak towards that by faith, and we believe we're going to see it. Lord, your kingdom come, and your will be done in our schools as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Chris. You know, the methods for ministry, they change, don't they? They always have. They always will. They certainly have this year. As I was uh, watching, you know, Joe speak, I was just thanking God that he's talking to a camera and I'm not today. <laughs> I'm glad to be in the house. <laughs> I'd much rather be here looking at you than uh, to just be sitting by myself in a room and trusting that somebody's out there listening. But that's the reality we've seen this year time and time again. The methods change, but how many of you know the message never does? The message never changes. And can I add to that to say that the motivation doesn't change either? The motivation for our gospel never 
changes. I, I read a story of the late E. Stanley Jones who was speaking at a minister's conference and, and he preached on love to all those pastors and church leaders. And, and after his service was over, one of the church leaders came up to him and they said, now, Brother Jones, I preached that message before at my church. I preached about love. I, I told people all that. But I still got this one guy in my church who's bitter and hateful and cantankerous, and he is dead set on splitting the church wide open. What do you recommend I do since love didn't work? And Brother Jones said, increase the dosage. (laughs) How many of you know that increasing the dosage is still God's plan? How many of you wanted to give somebody a lethal dosage of love before you really wanted to increase the dosage? That's, That's not what I'm talking about. But we understand that God has called us to love. But here's what we need to grab a hold of today. And here's the application. Our ability... To love others has to flow out of our experience of being loved undeservedly. I'm not talking about a love that you've earned. I'm talking about having a real moment of encounter where you recognize that love has reached beyond my worth. And I've experienced an undeserved love. Until you have that, ladies and gentlemen, you will not have the motivation to love the way Christ calls us to. I want to go with you today to two places in the New Testament, two Gospels, first to the Gospel of Luke, and then secondly, we'll go to the Gospel of Matthew. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a time when Jesus was invited to dinner at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And while he was there reclining at the table, all of a sudden, The Bible says in verse 37 of Luke 7, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Now, all Luke knows about this woman is that she is a sinful woman from that town. How many of you know that could describe any woman in any town? (laughs) Come on, don't get mad at me. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory, all right? So don't throw anything yet. I'm just preaching the truth here. Luke doesn't know her story, but he knows this much. This is a sinful woman from this town. And it says she found out Jesus was eating at his house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And Luke goes on to tell us that this woman knelt down at Jesus' feet. And she began to weep, so much so that her tears mingled with the dirt on his feet. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and she dried Jesus' feet with her hair. This woman was so overwhelmed, so grateful, so full of gratitude for Jesus' love and acceptance. And the Bible says that Simon, who sat there, looked at that woman And it says in verse 39, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Now, I I couldn't help but wonder how Simon knows what kind of woman she is. (laughs) Because Luke didn't know (laughs) when he wrote it, but, but Simon knew. And he said, I wonder 
If this guy were a real prophet, he'd, he'd know her past. He'd know who she is. He'd know what she's been up to. And Jesus responds to Simon, as he so often does, with a story. He says, Simon, let me tell you something. And he goes into a, a parable, and he says, in verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. And then he asked him this question, now, Simon, which of them will love him more? Simon says, wow, one guy owes 500 denarii, the other guy only owes 50, but he forgave both of them. So Simon says, well, the one who owed more probably loves him more. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Now, Simon, let me tell you something. When I came into your house today, you didn't offer to wash my feet. But this woman, she's been washing my feet with her tears. And when I came into your house today, you didn't greet me with the customary kiss. But this woman, she's been kissing my feet. And when I came into your house, you didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman is anointing my feet with oil. And then Jesus makes it clear in what Max Lucado calls the 747 principle. And I like that name because it's in Luke 747. And, and like the jet, this principle stretches far and wide. And if you'll grab a hold of it, I promise you, it will lift you above every emotion that wants to hold you down. Jesus says to Simon, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And here's the principle. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, Jesus says, when you recognize you've been forgiven of a lot, you're going to love a lot. Let me show you another story real quick in Matthew's gospel that goes hand in hand with this one. It's in Matthew chapter 18. And this time the conversation plays out between Jesus and one of his disciples, Peter. Peter says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody that offends me? Seven times? And that, that's like when we, when we ask the question, how much do I have to do? How good do I have to be? How much can I get away with and still not be disqualified? Now, I know you've never asked that question, but you probably know somebody. And Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? And Jesus says, try 70 times seven. And then he does what we've been studying in our life groups. He launches into a story about what the kingdom of heaven is like. To help Peter to get an understanding of how things are supposed to operate, he says, Therefore, in verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, if you can't calculate 10,000 bags of gold, that's the idea. It's a parable. It, it, it's hyperbole. He's saying this is a lot. This guy owes him a whole lot, 10,000 bags of gold, and the man's brought to him. 
Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Now notice what he says. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. You ever prayed that kind of prayer with God? God, if you'll get me out of this, if you'll give me one more chance, if you'll let me buy this time, I promise I'll never do it again. 10,000 bags of gold. How many of you think that's a believable story? Oh, you'll never do it again. But look, here's the gospel. In one sentence, verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. It's why I'm standing here today. It's why you're sitting there today. Because the master took pity and canceled the debt. But the story's only half over. Jesus goes on and he says, but when the servant went out, that servant found another fellow servant who owed him a hundred silver coins. In other words, pocket change. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him, notice the same prayer, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Verse 30 says, but he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went back to their master, and they told him everything that had happened. And then the master calls him in to give account. And it says this, you wicked servant, I canceled all your debts because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, it says, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus says to Peter, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. To which I'm sure Peter said, 70 times seven, got it, okay, sorry I ask. But the weight of that story, of both of those stories together, is this simple truth. Until you have had an experience of receiving an undeserved love, you'll never have the motivation to show love. Can I tell you, receiving a gift and being given a gift are not the same thing. There's plenty of people who have been given a gift, but they just never did anything with it. To, to hear the message of God's love and to receive God's love are two completely different things. There are plenty of people that could show you chapter and verse. They could quote John 3.16. They could tell you that their sins are washed away forever to be remembered no more. And yet they're walking around under a heavy burden of condemnation. Because they could tell you about love, but they haven't experienced love. And if, if the love of God is going to fill our sails and, and move us to where God wants us to go, to be who he wants us to be, we have to have a personal experience with love. Because you can't give what you don't have. And the key to loving other people is receiving it yourself. That's why when Peter was writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4 and verse 32, he, he gives the blueprint. He said, here's how we act, church. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. But here's the key. 
just as in Christ, God forgave you. We talked about it at the wedding yesterday, a chapter earlier in Ephesians. He says, submit yourselves to one another out of your reverence for Christ. See, it's what you've experienced in your relationship with God that gives you the resource and the motivation and the wind to move out with the love of Christ. That verse I started with in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says this, for these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, I left that last part out earlier when I quoted it because I wanted you to understand that, that faith and, and love, they, they come out of the reservoir stored up in our hope, and, and hope is, is important. But Paul did say love is the greatest thing. And I'll tell you why. Love's the greatest thing because love is the only one that's going to endure forever. And I don't say that because faith is weak or hope doesn't last. I say it because there is a day where faith will become sight. Where the substance of things hoped for will become our reality. See, the Bible says that, that one day, though now we see through a glass darkly, though now our eyes are veiled, we're going to see the Lord. We're going to behold him with unveiled faces. We're going to know him as we are fully known. Listen, one of these days, faith is not going to be something you long for. It's going to be something you look at. Hope is going to be your home address. And when that reality is true for you, how many of you know love is still going to endure? Forever and forever, his kingdom shall know no end. And so Paul says, of these three, love is the greatest. And in a few verses earlier, in verse 8, he said, love never fails. It never fails. I want to ask our worship team to, to come back up here. And as, as I was thinking about those verses there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's really just a part of a teaching that goes through chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14. And the whole teaching is all about how the church is supposed to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Did you know God has given gifts to equip the church? He's given gifts. And so in chapter 12, he says, look, we all have differing gifts. And he uses the analogy of a body. He says, in other words, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Because we're all a body. We are all unique and yet we are unified as one body. Verse 27 of chapter 12 says we're all a part of the body of Christ. And then when he gets to the end of that chapter, he says something powerful. I, I just got to read this to you. At the end of chapter 12, the last thing he says is, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So we're all a part of the body. We're unique and we're unified. I'm going to show you the most excellent way for the church to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. What does that look like? Love. He said, if I speak in tongues of men or tongues of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Aren't you thankful for this worship team? Yeah, amen. Aren't you thankful that it's not just Jeremiah playing one cymbal? Just, can you imagine that? Just, just one cymbal. Don't demonstrate. That would be terrible. <laughs> but he says, if you operate in the gifts and you don't have love, that's, that's pretty much how good it's going to go. And on and on, he says, we have to operate in love. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not, it doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I'm just reading the Bible to you, church. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Again, what's he doing? He's saying this is how the church is supposed to function in the gifts of the Spirit. You're getting the bonus material now. I hope the the two earlier services log on. They didn't get any of this. But I need you to get this. Because God has given gifts to the church. And we can get so focused on the gift that we miss the what moves the gift. The wind of the spirit that fills our sails is love. So he goes on and he says, if, if I don't have love, I'm like a horn that's blowing, but I'm not playing a melody. How confused would the soldiers be in a battle if they were trying to distinguish the battle cry, but, but the horn was just playing random notes. That's what it's, that's what it's like if we try to move as the church. It, have, you, have you seen the culture get confused by the church before? I wonder why that is. Because there's not a clear call. We're not moving by love. So Paul says, I want to show you the most excellent way. I want to show you how we do this thing. And then he starts verse, chapter 14. And here's what he says. Chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. In other words, he says, I I want you to desire the gifts. And then he goes on to expound on the gifts and to talk about different gifts and how they're used in the church. But the theme of everything that he's saying is you got to follow the way of love. Why? Then you get down to verse 12. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Why? Because this is... This is the most excellent way. This is how we follow the way of love. We desire the gifts that build up the church. I want to challenge you today to receive an experience of God's undeserved love. I I know I'm talking to some folks that you've heard of God's love. I'm not asking you to just listen. I'm asking you to experience God's love, maybe specifically in one area of your life. Because isn't that how the devil works? You know, we can be strong in about 95% of our lives, and then there's that one area, that one skeleton in the closet, that, that one thing that, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like a thorn in our flesh. If the devil's going to work you over, you know his angle. He's coming from that side. That's the area that I need you to experience the love of God today. So I ask this team to come up here because they're going to sing an appropriate response. And we're going to join them and just give back to God the only appropriate response for an experience of His love. And that's what Paul talked about when he said, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. We believe one died for all. 
So what else could we do but say, God, I'm going to give my all back to you. Would you bow your head with me? I want to pray for you today. Lord, for everyone that's here in this room today, those that are watching online, God, we pray that we would have an experience right now of your undeserved love. Lord, go to the areas of our heart where the secret wounds hide. God, go to the calloused areas of our lives. Those things that we've stopped praying about so long ago because we just felt like it was the wound we were going to have to walk with for the rest of our days. Lord, for those areas where we've just accepted a limp, God, would you bring healing? Would you bring grace? Lord, would you bring forgiveness right now? Lord, those things that we've been bitter about, those painful places, Lord, that we don't want to talk about, Lord, would you go there with your love? Lord, may we come today not like the unmerciful servant who heard the message and yet still was motivated by hatred and retaliation, but God, may we come like Mary Magdalene and kneel down at your feet, Lord, and break open the box of our worship in response to your love so that the aroma of our worship fills the room and changes the atmosphere. God, help us to see today that's what you've called us to. That's who you've called us to be. Whatever room we go into, God, let our lives be so overtaken with your love that our worship fills the room and changes the atmosphere. Let the aroma of our gratitude have an impact on others. God, in Jesus' name, we receive your love. We receive it right now. I'm going to invite you. Would you stand?